chapter number two. And uh, anybody need an outline? Anybody not get an outline? I think we are good. All right. So First John chapter number two this evening. This is something I started with the uh, with the teen group for this summer. Uh, we actually started a, a lesson. Uh, I've entitled the entire series for them uh, under the uh, uh, below the surface. Um, and just, just trying to, to teach them a little bit about how to, to study their Bibles and how to go about that. So we're going through the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John throughout the summertime. And uh, we're just kind of going through verse by verse with them. And uh, so, you know, a lot of times I think as, as Christians, uh, a lot of times in my life I know um, when we read the Bible, sometimes we read the Bible just because it's on our list of things we need to do. Uh, sometimes we read just because it's expected of us. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's to get that check off. It's, you know, sometimes it's, it, we're, we're busy and so we don't read like we should read. Uh, there's a lot of different ways in which we read the Bible. Um, but the reason I entitled that series Below the Surface for these teenagers is that, uh, you know, just like an iceberg, uh, about 90% of the iceberg is located below the surface. And uh, sometimes we, we see this, the surface stuff that, is, that, that we can get and that can help us, uh, but there's so much more to God's word that is, that is below the surface. And, and we've got to really study and kind of dive into that. And so I chose the book of 1 John to go through, and so they've been reading along with, and uh, so we're, I'm just going to continue along with that tonight. And um, this is not how I normally do it with them, but uh, I'm just going to preach to you tonight. So... First uh, John chapter number two. Look at verse number one. The Bible says that which was from the beginning. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm First John chapter number one. First John chapter two. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, and hereby do we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. And so as we, as we get started in this passage, in chapter number 2, John points out, and he's writing to my little children. These are, you know, the, the people that he considers his children in the faith. These are, these are Christian people. These are people who have already placed their faith and trust in Christ. First John is written to believers. And uh, we find in First John chapter number 1 and chapter number 2 that kind of the theme of those two chapters is learning about fellowship with Christ. But not just, not just fellowship, but it's, it's contrasting that there's a lot of Christians that say they're a Christian, but they don't walk like a Christian. They don't act like a Christian. They don't, they don't live like Christ. And so he's teaching them about how to have that fellowship with Christ, although we are sinful people, but we can have a right relationship with Christ on a daily basis. But then contrasting that with, don't just say you are a Christian, but live like it. Show people that you are, that you are a Christian. Show people that Christ has made a difference in your life. And we see, you know, all throughout Scripture, we see that, that the, 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 the principle, the command is given that we are to obey God's commandments. We see that all the way back in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the last, last couple of verses, the Bible says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We find Jesus Christ in the book of John telling uh, His disciples and telling those around Him, If you love me, 
keep my commandments. We find John here in chapter number 2, as well as in chapter number 5, he mentions the same thing. Hereby do we know that we know him if you keep my commandments. And so we find throughout Scripture it's an important thing to, to follow and obey what God's Word says. We agree? Okay, and so as, as, we, as we are doing what God wants us to do, as we're following Him, uh, there are some things that are important for us in our life. And, and like I said already, that we, we, we need this fellowship. We need this right relationship with Christ. Uh, but not just on the outside. Not just because we say we have it, but because that's what is really coming from what is inside. You know, some people can put on a facade for, for, for a time, uh, but what is inside will always come out. And, and so, you know, we can, we can put on the play, we can put on the, the, the act uh, and say we are a Christian, not live like it and get away with it. But you cannot truly have a relationship with Christ without it coming out without people realizing and knowing that Christ is in you. That is going to show forth because Christ is making a difference in your life. And so we see here, as John gets started in this passage, we're going to see number one, we're going to see the charge. The charge that he gives to the believers. And he's writing this book, by the way, to, to uh, all of the Christians across, uh, across Asia Minor. Uh, this isn't written to a specific church necessarily. He's writing this in general, this is, I believe, towards the end of John's life, uh, or getting close to it. He's, a, he's an older man, uh, and so he's writing these things to help impart uh, what God has given to him, what he has learned as he's pastored throughout, and as he's ministered uh, throughout all these years. And so the first thing that he does is he gives a charge, and we find that in verse number one. The Bible says, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. The purpose, the reason that he's writing is to charge them that the goal of your life, the goal of the Christian life, is that you sin not. Not that we sin and not that we get forgiveness of that sin. It, you know, we've covered, we've talked with that, I've talked with that with the teenagers on many occasions. You know, God's grace is there to cover our sin. But even Paul said in the book of Romans, should we continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. You know, we should not live any longer therein, in the sin which we are, we are now dead to. Okay, and so the, the goal of the Christian life is not to, to live and live in a way that I'm, I'm constantly having to ask for forgiveness. Can I keep a right relationship with the Lord by doing that? You ask five different people, you're probably going to get five different answers. Um, you know, we, we, the goal is to live in a way that pleases Christ. And, and what's going to please Him is what? Re, re, keeping ourselves from sin. Abstaining from sin. Okay? And so, the charge that He gives you right off the bat is that we sin not. But these things, right I unto you, what is that talking about? When we see the word therefore, what does it mean? You've got to look and see what it's there for. Okay, that's very much like what he's saying right here. He's saying, these things write I unto you. Well, what has he already written? He wrote chapter number one, which I covered with the teenagers a couple weeks ago. So you guys are just going to have to go back and study that yourselves. All right, but all of chapter number one, that's kind of what he's talking about. He, he's, he's, he's continuing from chapter number one right into this, and he's saying, my little children, 
these things, the things I've already written, the things that were in chapter number one, the things I've already covered, these things I've written unto you that ye sin not. Okay, and we'll, we'll cover some of that here in just a minute. One of the, I think the theme verse of chapter number one probably is 1 John chapter number one, verse number nine. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the forgiveness and the cleansing is there when we, when we do mess up, when we do fall. But the purpose of him writing those things was not that we'd be able to get the forgiveness, but that we just not sin in the first place. You know, we, we, we say sometimes, we kind of joke uh, tongue-in-cheek sometimes, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. We kind of joke that, hey, I can, get, I can just do it and, and I'll deal with the consequences later. I'll deal with the ramifications of that at a future time. Where, where what God really wants is for us to see he doesn't want us to mess up at all. He doesn't want us to have to deal with anything. He wants us just to live in a way that is pleasing to him, that we sin not. And that's the charge that he's giving to us right off the bat. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, But as he which is, hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As it is written, or because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Okay? How many of you believe that we can live the perfect, sinless, holy life as Christ lived here on earth. The only way that that would be possible is if we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year for the rest of our lives. It's not possible. It is not possible to do that. But the goal should be to live as close to that as I possibly can in my life. He's commanded us, as it is written, because I am holy, be ye holy. He's given us a command there. It's not if you think you're capable. It's not when you get around to it. It's not when you feel like doing it. It's be holy because I am holy. Now, that is impossible for us as human beings with the natural sinful nature that we have. But we should strive to live as he's charging us here that we sin not. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But also in Psalm 119, verse number 11, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He's given us somewhat of, you know, throughout Scripture we find different principles of how we can live and how we can live this life as close to that holiness as we possibly can. Uh, what does the word holy mean in the first place? to be set apart, to be clean, to be pure. And it's not just being set apart from something, but it's being set apart from sin, from the world, from whatever is not pleasing to the Lord, and being set apart to God. That I'm striving to get closer and closer and closer to Him, not just separating from sin. Because sin in the world changes. Sin in the world is always going to be getting further away from Christ. So if I just separate and I hold that distance, eventually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be getting where the world is today. You see what I'm saying? And so th there's this line that, hey, I don't want to just separate and get to a certain place and feel like I've arrived or I'm good, I I'm okay here because of, you know, I'm better than so-and-so or I I'm living much better than 
than this or, you know, I, I'm doing a whole lot better than that over there. No, my goal is to just ever be getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And as so, I get further and further away from sin and further and further away from the world and further and further away from my flesh every single day that I do that. Okay? And so that's the charge that he's placed upon us here uh, in, in, this, in the first part of this chapter. Then we're going to see number two, the consolation. What happens when I do sin? Because that is inevitable, is it not? What's the last part of verse number one? Okay, so, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. If we sin, if we do that which we should not do, if we go into that place we should not go, if we have that attitude we should not have, if we speak what we should not speak, if we're, you know, all these different things, all these different places, all these different actions that can be taken place, if we do it, does that just mean we're out in the cold? No, absolutely not. That's why he gave us, in 1 John chapter number 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that happens, if we sin, but we do have this advocate. The word advocate literally means just to be an intercessor. It's the same word as in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where we see uh, Jesus talking about the fact that he's going to send us a comforter. It's the same Greek word. It's the, it, the, the word here for advocate is the same word as that comforter. And, and you know, it's, it's not that we have an advocate. It's not that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Right? Our advocate is who? It's Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ representative to us. It's what he gave us to help us live our life in a way that's holy and pleasing to Christ. But Jesus Christ is our representative. He is our advocate before God the Father. Okay? And so we see that we have this advocate, the Spirit, or, or in Romans chapter 8, verse number 34, uh, the Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Same word. It's the same word. He is interceding on our behalf. He is our advocate. He is the person, if you, if you imagine... Uh, you know, a, a court scene, that's what an advocate is. It's as if I am not able to hire an attorney, I'm not able to hire somebody for myself, and so what is appointed to me? An advocate. Somebody to, to defend me on my behalf. And so Jesus Christ is our advocate. You know, when the Bible talks about the fact that Satan accuses the brethren, that's like the prosecuting attorney. He's trying to get me condemned. He's trying to get me to feel bad about myself. He's trying to get me to, to, to experience the lows and the, the, the discouragement, whatever else may come from that. But Jesus Christ is sitting there saying, hang on a second. Because of my sacrifice, because of my blood, because of the blood that was shed on the cross, you have no claim over that. 
That's already, it's already been paid for. And we'll see here in, in just a second another word that talks about the payment that is being made. All right, Verse number 2 says, And is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we not only have an advocate, but we have an atonement. That's what the word propitiation means. It's atonement. The, the, the word means a full payment. If you look, I think I put that in your notes. An, an atonement, a reconciliation, a full payment. A redemption by paying the debt of the offending party. Christ is our advocate because he has already paid the debt. And he presents his blood on our behalf before God the Father to say, no sin can be held to his account. He is our advocate. He is our one that goes, just as, as when, when the Bible talks about him interceding for us on our behalf before the, before the Father. Many times that's referring to prayer. As I pray, he intercedes for me on my behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered, right? And, and so it, it's that same type of intercession. It's that same going forth from before me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's that full payment. That's that atonement that has been made. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews 9.22 says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. That's the payment that was made. That's the atonement that is there. And because of the atonement that was paid for by Christ, he is now able to be our advocate. As Christians, as people who have, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, which is who John is writing to, okay, we have somebody who will stand there and defend us as our advocate. Because he has made the full payment. He has taken care of our debt. He is taking care of everything that we need. And so we see the consolation, this consolation that is there for us. If we sin, if we do that which, is, which we should not do, we have the advocate and we have an atonement. Number three, we see the confirmation. The confirmation. As we look at this, at the end of this passage, this is where the, what I was talking about at the beginning where fellowship is the goal. Fellowship with Christ. And, and not just saying that we have fellowship, but acting in a way that tells people we have fellowship. You know, I, I used this, I think, the last time I preached uh, in, on Sunday morning. You know, our, our walk talks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Okay? Say that three or four times fast, right? Okay? Right? We can say all day long that I'm a Christian. But until my walk, until my testimony, until my lifestyle backs up what I have said, what do people think about me? Hypocrisy. What's another word for that? It's the word he uses here. Look at verse number 3. And hereby we do know that we know him... If we keep his commandments, verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. A little bit more forceful than hypocrite. 
although hypocrisy is just a form of a lie. Right? But he is a liar. If we say, and he even said this in chapter number 1, if you go back, look at verse number, uh, verse number 6, I believe. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Look at verse number 8 in chapter number 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse number 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John is trying to make a point here in these first two chapters that there's a problem with Christians saying, I'm a Christian and not living like it. Not following Christ. Not being willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to follow Christ in a way which pleases Him. And we see that same error, that same problem today. All over the place. We come across people all the time going, going door knocking where people say, I haven't been in church in 10 years, in 5 years, in, in 20 years. Why not? Because of what somebody did. Because of how somebody lived. Because of the hypocrisy. Because of the lies. Because of all the problems we see in, in the, you know, not just in the Baptist, in, in Catholic church, in this church, in, in all religions. They see the, the, the problems that are there because people are saying one thing and living just like everyone else. Right? And that's what John is trying to get us to see here in this passage tonight, is, is we should not sin first and foremost. If we sin, we do have an advocate and we do have an atonement. But the goal is just to have right fellowship with the Lord and live in a way that tells people you have right relationship and a right fellowship with the Lord. Okay? And so we see letter A, we see the liar. In 1 John chapter 1, verse, uh, or we've already, we've already checked those verses, that, that this lie in verse 6 and verse 8 in chapter number 1, the, the lie that is there is just that part of it in, in chapter number 1, verse 8, is that we're lying to ourselves. And we even get to the place in verse number 10 where he says, you're even lying about and you're even saying that God is a liar by the way you're living. Because we're saying, I'm a Christian, we're saying, I, I'm in Christ, and, and yet, if we were in Christ, would there not be a change that would reflect that? And so by not living that, we, we make God a liar. And the Bible says very clearly, right here in these first two chapters, that his tr the truth is not in us. You are a liar. You, the, the truth is not there. Look at verse number four again. He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So we're talking about the confirmation. How, how do we confirm that we are of Christ? Look at verse number 5. We see the, 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 the complete, we see the liar, the, the person that is there, but we see also the person that is complete in his life. Verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. The word perfected there literally just means to be complete. It's the same word we see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, excuse me, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Is the word perfect there talking about 
perfection, sinless perfection? No. Because why? That's impossible. We've already covered that. It's impossible for me to live precisely holy as God is holy. So perfection, being perfect, being perfected here in this passage is not talking about being sinless. It is talking about being complete in Christ. Having all that I need to have that right relationship and that right fellowship with Him. And to live in a way that is pleasing to Him without the sin. That we sin not as He charges at the very beginning. So we see the complete, that the, the love of God is perfected in them. And hereby know we that we are in Him. But look at verse number 6, and we see the example. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk even as He walked. Who's our ultimate example? Christ. If we're going to have right fellowship with Christ, it would behoove us to choose to follow Him and walk as He walked. And do the things that He did. To spend time with the Father. To spend time in prayer. To have compassion on the multitudes. To love people. To give the gospel. To challenge people. To do all those things that Christ did while he was here on earth. If we would live like Christ, there would be a major difference in us. If we truly ask, is this what Christ would do? You know, there was, a, there was an old, is, is WWJD still a thing? Is it? What would Jesus do? It was a thing when I was a teenager. Usually those things are uh, null and void for teens today, right? What would Jesus do? You know, they put it on bracelets and they put it on necklaces and all kinds of stuff so that people would wear it and they would think to themselves, in this situation, what would Jesus do? The idea was good, but it became just kind of a, a fad. It became a show. It became a, you know, something to wear to say, I, I'm, I'm identifying with Christ. But nobody ever looked at it and did anything with it. Nobody ever asked, what would Jesus do? And if we would stop and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he respond to this? What would he do? Would he go there? Would he be with that person? Would he minister here? Would he, witness, would he hand out that gospel? What, what would Jesus Christ do? And if we would live our life as if Jesus Christ was right there with us, shadowing us, watching everything we do, it would change who we are. But we don't. But He is. He's right there with us. He's watching. He's listening. He's seeing everything. And we fail to live like it. And yet, like John is trying to get us to see here, a lot of times we say we are. I say I have fellowship. I say I'm walking with Christ. I say I'm Christian. I, I'm, I'm naming Christ in my name. But we live so much the contrary. 
We don't live like a little Christ. We don't live like Jesus. We don't walk like Jesus. We don't talk like, we don't do what Jesus would do. So can I ask you, is it time to get real? You know, it's time to, to quit being fake in a world that is full of counterfeit. If people would see the real deal, they would take it. And they would accept it. Because that's what truth does. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But so often we don't go to the truth. We live a lie. We live not like Christ wants us to live. We don't live sinless. We don't live holy. We don't live perfect and complete in our life. And it's time to get the fake out, to to quit being fake in our lives, to, to quit being, to put on the facade and get real. It's time to live a real life for Christ. And that's what John is trying to get us to see here in this in this in these first two chapters really and really this doesn't even I mean this this thought that he's kind of going into really goes all the way down to verse number 14. He he talks about the fact uh, that there's a new commandment that I'm going to give unto you. That you love one another. And that's part of that fellowship with Christ. If we have a right relationship this way, we should have a right relationship this way. He talks about, in verse 15 through 17, he talks about love not the world. And separating from those things and loving Christ. He talks about just abiding in Christ as a whole. And then in chapter number 3, he's going to start addressing some some issues. He's going to start talking about some of the ways in which we do that but he's covering this topic of fellowship because it's so key that we have a right relationship, that we have good fellowship with Christ. Sin is going to come. But when sin comes, we don't lose our sonship. We don't get disowned by Christ. We don't lose salvation. But the fellowship is broken. And it must be repaired. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there. But 1 John 2, 1 if we would live that way, we wouldn't have to use 1 John 1, 9. Sin not. Have a right relationship, a right fellowship with God and with believers and live in a way that's pleasing to Him. That's what God wants for our life. I hope that that's a blessing and I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed this evening. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ and uh, Lord, all that He did for us on the cross that He Uh, made the atonement for our sins. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our lives, that we would trust in Christ, that we would be obedient to Christ, that we would live in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our lives, that we would have great fellowship with you, that we would choose to to do our best to to not even get into the sin problem, that we wouldn't have to use 1 John 1, 9, but that we would live in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would live as though we're in the way that John is writing to us, that we sin not. Lord, help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you, 
Lord, that you'd get all the glory and the honor, that people would see a real Christ in us, that they would see the love of Christ being manifested and being made, made clear and made pure because of the way we live, because of the way we act. Lord, I pray you'd touch our hearts. Lord, bring us back to you. And Lord, may we be real Christians tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.